This is an RNZ podcast. Welcome to Insight. Call Philippa Tolitene. This week... New Zealand's population is about to hit 5 million for the first time. But who now makes up New Zealand and what's changed about us? For insight, Teresa Cowie has travelled around the country to find out what five five-year-olds and their parents think about growing up in Aotearoa today. Now it's turning five. How many people do you think live in New Zealand, in the whole country of New Zealand? Ten. How did you count that up? I did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, one hundred and ten. I think a hundred and two people live in Hokitika. How many people do you think live in New Zealand, the whole country? In New Zealand there's lots and lots of people, about 1,000 or maybe 60 or 50. 350,000, Okay, that's pretty cute, but it might pay to talk to some, shall we say, alternative experts about New Zealand too, and especially about what it's like to be five in New Zealand now. Professor Susan Morton would be a good start. She leads the Growing Up in New Zealand Longitudinal Study and recently it's been researching the health, education and culture of our five-year-old Tamariki. Since 2009, Susan Morton and her team of researchers at the University of Auckland have been tracking the development of about 7,000 New Zealand children from before birth until they turn 21. The idea is to find out what makes a 21st century Kiwi kid tick, so health, social and education services know what's needed to give them a good future. Turning five holds a special place in New Zealand. It's the time when our littleies take that first big step through the school gate to begin their journey towards becoming the adult they want to be and making the world they want to live in. Going to school is a really important transition for children. I mean, most of the time in their first five years of life, they're living at home. So their experiences are very much shaped by the people who are in their family and living in their household. So they are interacting with mum, with dad, maybe with, with auntie and uncle and grandparents. And they are the people who they rely on day to day for all of their exploration of the world and their excitement about what they can do and their outings and their interaction really with the wider world. But at five, there's the chance to actually step outside that and start to develop as an individual and create your own identity and move into this world where suddenly you're one of many five-year-olds often, but you actually start to become your own person and you start to explore some of the things that you can do that might be different to some of the other people that you're with. And you also get to see how you fit in the world. A lot of New Zealand's character is wrapped up in the fact that we're isolated at the bottom of the world, but especially that there aren't all that many of us wandering around on these islands. When I decided to move back here from the UK about 10 years ago, I asked myself, what's the one thing that's so different about these fairly similar English-speaking countries? The top hit I came up with was population. New Zealand meant fewer armpits stuck in my face as I crammed onto the tube. The next station is Charing Cross. 
fewer angry faces behind me in long queues, and for better or for worse, the she'll be right attitude, which at the time promised a more spontaneous everyday, where there are fewer rules and regulations to crowd manage my life. But there are now more of us, so what's it like for a kid to grow up here now? Along with Professor Susan Morton, these five New Zealanders have the most up-to-date knowledge and expertise on what it's like to be five in New Zealand right now. Kia I'm Paula. I'm five years and 65 days old. I just go to Kudakaupapa and Wanganui. My name's Noella and I'm five years and 319 days old. I live in Browns Bay in Auckland. When I speak Tongan, I feel happy. My name's Zara and I live in Hokitika and I'm five years and 159 days old. My name is Arlok. I'm five years and 300 days old. I live in Swanton, Auckland. My name is Lexi. I live in Wellington. I'm five years and zero days old. Today's my birthday and my first day of school. Turning five. In New Zealand, the tradition of starting school on your fifth birthday is a huge milestone for a little person. Although legally, we don't have to start school until age six, 99% of children start primary school when they're five. Okay, you go and find your spot and then I'll come out. Today's the big day for Lexi, who lives in Johnsonville in Wellington. Today she's the big zero five. And before she jumps in the car, I'm roped in to take a first day of school photo of Lexi, her mum and dad, and two sisters, Imogen and Georgia. Okay, one, two, three, Lexi! The Growing Up in New Zealand study has found three quarters of five year olds live within five kilometres of the school they go to. So, Lexi, tell me, how are you getting to school today? I'm going to school in the car with my family. And is this how you'll go to school every day? Will you go in the car together? Yeah. We drive with one person, but today is two. Because it's a special day. It's my first day of school. Like Lexi, 68% of children in the study are driven to school. It's not all that far to the local primary, but the family's car route is a bit like a bus, making various stops along the way. First to drop little sister Georgia at daycare, the older girls off to school, and then mum and dad are both going into the city to work. All of the five-year-olds I spoke with go to school by car, with parents working and trailing toddlers that sometimes double the time it takes to walk to school. They consider the car to be the easiest way to get the whole family to the various places they need to be. Who's new in here today? Lexi's new today, so we've got a special message for Lexi up on our board, haven't we? Today is Magical Monday. Welcome to school and have a big happy birthday. And how old are you today, Lexi? When I started school at St Mary's Primary in Hokitika, aged five, I was the sixth child in my family to go to the convent school, as it was known then. 
My dad had been to the school and my grandmother had even been a teacher there. There was a lot of history, so everyone knew the drill. That was in 1983. The population then was 3.1 million. I visited my old school in Hukatika to see if much had changed. The answer? Not really. The school playground looks a bit flasher, and there's a bit more ethnic diversity among the children playing in it. There aren't any Sisters of Mercy teaching here anymore. Perhaps in part a symptom of how New Zealanders seem to be moving away from religion. In the last census, more than half of us ticked the no religion box. Back at my old new entrant classroom, I meet Zara, who shows me around. It was a similar story for her as it was for me when she started school back in April. Her mother and aunties had been to the school, and she already had older siblings there to show her the ropes. She likes playing on my old fave, the jungle gym, at morning tea time. Hi, and today... (laughs) Hi, and today I'm going to do the monkey bar. Watch me. First, I put my hands here. That way. Then I cross, cross, and cross. And then I do that. Susan Morton's research has found that today's children spend an average of two hours on screen every day. So it's no surprise that like many kids today, she's proficient in how to present a YouTube-style demo of her jungle gym technique. When growing up in New Zealand, researchers asked parents what their biggest worry was for their child as they started primary school. The answer was overwhelmingly, will they have enough friends? The parents of these five-year-olds who lived in big cities were the most worried about this because once school starts, children disperse across the city to their parents' chosen school and often away from their friends. For Zara, a confident kid who lives in a small town with only two schools to choose from, reuniting with preschool friends was a bit easier. How many friends do you have? Ten. Can you tell me some of your friends' names? Luke, Lincoln, Misha, Joelle... When Professor Susan Morton headed off to school on the day of her fifth birthday back in 1966, New Zealand's population was 2.7 million. It was a similar story of a family history and a close-knit community. A ready-made path. I think I was super excited about going to school. Um, I went to St Joseph's School in New Plymouth and I was the first of my generation to go, but my dad had gone there before me, so it was kind of an exciting time to be uh, the next generation. Five-year-olds now don't always have that ready-made path, though. Our families are now very mobile and ethnically diverse. About a third of children are born to at least one parent who didn't grow up here and speaks another language at home. Arlock lives in Swanson in West Auckland, in a brand new terraced house. There's no quarter acre section here. His tiny backyard is almost completely covered by his trampoline. His cousin Giridaj, who lives nearby, has popped by to say hello and practice doing some flips. Arlock was born in Auckland, but his parents both moved here from Fiji. His grandparents live here now too, in the same house, and take care of him while his parents work. In my house, I live with Aji, Aja, Mama, Papa. 
Alok's one of a fifth of children who live with their extended family, and he's the first in his family to go to school in New Zealand. So he's not following in anyone's footsteps. He's cutting his own path. This is a medunga. We have one, two, three medunga. I, I play it like this. What do you like about school? I like, I like writing, reading, and, and playing. Mm-hmm. I go on the mat and listen to the teacher. Arlok's grandmother, Nirmala, is learning about the school system here. But, as was the tradition in Fiji, she stayed all day with him at school until she was happy he'd settled in. He was a bit nervous, was crying. <laughs> and uh, I stayed with him. Uh, for two, three days I was there with him. And then slowly, he, as soon as he started mingling around with him, other children. And you were a teacher yourself in Fiji, so you're very familiar with that sort of environment. What sort of differences did you notice at the New Zealand school as to what you were used to? In Fiji, children are not exposed to a school environment, especially when I was teaching in rural areas. They don't have any kindergarten in rural areas or daycare there. And then uh, they're very afraid, they don't want to leave their parents. And then we allow the parents to sit about for a week or two, some even stay for a month. Susan Morton says children like Arlok are pioneers of a sort, sharing their culture with New Zealand and bringing New Zealand culture home from school to their families. I sort of went to school and my dad had gone to the same school before me and his dad had gone to the same school before him, so it was very much a multi-generational familiar place to go and there was a sense of belonging even before you entered those doors and I guess for many of these children they are going into an environment for the first time as Kiwi kids you know and they're going in as the first of their family into an environment or maybe with a sibling who's older but certainly as the first generation into this sort of environment and I think that's actually really special for them because they then become the people who are taking those values and that culture back home to their family and integrating that and assimilating it with the rich sort of culture and diversity that their families have given to them in terms of their background. So it really does become an interesting process in terms of you know, how those children are made to feel like they do belong. I'm Teresa Cowie, and you're listening to an RNZ Insight programme where five five-year-olds tell us about their New Zealand as we head towards five million people for the first time. New Zealand's population is estimated to increase by one person every seven minutes and 49 seconds. After watching the population clock on the Statistics New Zealand website rollover, yes, there is an actual clock, I was surprised to find that a lot of our population increase is actually down to a few slip-ups here and there when it comes to contraception. We were really surprised by the fact that 40% of this generation were still unplanned. Now, firstly, unplanned didn't mean unwanted. It just wasn't a conscious decision that now is the time we are going to try and have a baby. So 40% was higher potentially than we'd expected in this generation because there seems to be more choice for mums, for parents in terms of childbearing. But actually what these stats told us is perhaps not. And these things still come along as a bit of a surprise to people. 
Um, in the past, I think anecdotally, we've thought around about half of children are surprises, are uh, somewhat unplanned. Um, if I talk for myself, then two out of three of my children were unplanned, so that doesn't suggest that my PhD was worth much either. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I suppose because we're looking at the 5 million population as well, it's quite staggering to me that so much is down to accidents. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? But actually, I look back on that and think that's quite a good thing, because if you really thought about what parenthood is and how challenging it is, you know, if we really had a choice about it, how many of us would actually 100% plan it? It is kind of one of those things that I think it's kind of I think it's quite good that there's still a little bit of chance involved. Yeah. Um, otherwise, maybe we wouldn't have as many children. And actually, we need, we need lots of children. We need a new generation of Kiwis. I want to be an engineer when I grow up because I like designing stuff, like rocket ships and, like, bridges. Paora from Whanganui was not by design himself, but a welcome surprise. I got him to turn the tables on his mum, RNZ correspondent Lee Mardiman McLaughlin, and interview her about it. Mum, I love some babies are surprises. Are they surprises or planned? <laughs> are you a surprise or were you planned? You were an awesome surprise. You were such a big surprise, but I was so happy. I was really happy. I remember when I found out that I was pregnant with you, I felt like I was magical. I felt like I was magical when I knew you were in my tummy. And I would walk to work and I would feel like I was floating. I thought I was so magical when I was expecting you. The day you were born, you went to hospital and it was very, very sore. But when you came out, you were so cute. And I put you on my chest and I looked at I you and I went, hello, baby. And then look when I put it on my dad's arm. And then dad picked you up and cuddled you and you put it on his arm. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, eh? Yeah. Polder is also among the many five-year-olds who have moved house multiple times in their preschool years. Tell me all the places we lived when I was since I was born. Since you were born? Uh-huh. Oh, it's hard to count. We've lived in lots of different houses. You remember all our houses in Wellington? Yeah. Yeah, and in Whanganui? Yeah. So you were born on Hawker Street in Mount Vic. New Zealand is now a country very much on the move. So one of the things I think that has been most surprising in following this generation through so far is that two out of three of the children have moved house at least once in their preschool years. So that means only one in three of the children have stayed in the same place. And of those two thirds, we know that a considerable number have experienced multiple moves. That's quite different, I think, to our expectations of what it's like to grow up in New Zealand. Transition to school relies on us knowing where the population is going to be when they turn four and a half or five. If they're constantly moving, like this generation are, that actually makes things really difficult. And I think one of the things that was even more surprising is once these children started school, so at the end of their first 12 months of school, we had also seen that one in eight of the cohort, 12%, had experienced a school move, and two-thirds of those nearly were because of another house shift. The, the rest were things like parental job change or relationship change. 
But that's huge. That suggests that this generation are just so much more mobile than they have ever been before. Paulders recently made a permanent move from Wellington to Whanganui. What did we move back to Whanganui, Mum? It was time to come home and it was time to be closer to Nanny and Grandad. And some people from Whanganui, we like to say that the river calls us home. This is called Wanganui. Yeah, and that's our way out there. And, and she was calling me home and she was saying, come back home now. This is You're our home. Be by your this, is our, this whole town is our home. Yes, it is. Paura's mother, Lee Marama, also wanted him to have the chance of the same education she'd enjoyed at Kura Kaupapa. My favourite thing at Kura is to learn to learn Māori. And how does that make you feel inside when you're learning te reo Māori? Um, fun and happy. Oh, cool. That's good. What is it that you think makes you feel all happy? Oh, the feelness. Why did you decide to send me to Kura? Hmm. I wanted you to learn all about te reo Māori. And I wanted you to go to a kura that was similar to mine because I feel like kura kaupapa made me really strong in my identity. Do you know what an identity is? Um, it's who you are. It's like your mana. I feel like Kura Kaupapa gave me heaps of mana. And I wanted you to learn the same waiata as me. I wanted you to know about all our marae here and about how cool it is to be Māori. And I definitely wanted you to learn how to kōrero reo Māori. The high cost of buying a house today makes it more likely families will be renting and that they'll move house more often. When many of our five-year-old's parents were born in the 1980s, 78% of New Zealanders owned the home they lived in. Today, that's dropped to just 55%. In Browns Bay, Noella's family are renting too. Where are we off to, Noella? Upstairs. Upstairs. What's that out there? It's my bedroom and out that window there's Rangitoto. Do you like to look at Rangitoto? Yes. <laughs> what do you like about it? Because mm, I've climbed up it once. Another move is imminent for Noella, her two younger siblings and her mum and dad Tess and Willie. We just bought a house in Hobsonville Point so we're moving out next year. We, we won the ballot. Um, one of the Access, Access Affordable Homes, homes yeah. that program. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, so we've been entering them for years, just getting all the paperwork together and forgetting about it, and then we hit one, and yeah. Apparently it's just drawn out of a hat kind of thing. It's pure, like, yeah, so we managed to get a, it's very small, but it's still a three-bedroom yeah. new home for a somewhat affordable price, hopefully. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> But it's we wanted to we decided we wanted to try and stay in Auckland, but we couldn't afford anything really, yeah. unless so this was a really good opportunity to get our own place. Yeah. yeah. This is who lives in my house, Mum, Dad. When Zara's parents made their most recent move, they were some of the thirty thousand or so New Zealanders who bump up the population every year by moving home after living overseas. They'd spent their 20s living and working in Brisbane. 
but Zara's dad, Fane, says one reason he and his wife Alana moved back home to Hokitika was so the children could have freedom to roam and play around their neighbourhood without them hovering over them like helicopter parents. They will happily skip down Zara and the, and the boys down to the high school without us you know, having to worry about who's around the corner or, or who's out there because being such a small town and and, and small neighbourhoods, everyone knows everyone. So um, just that feeling of safety, I think, with the kids sort of being out, allowed to roam, really. And it's good, like, the community, as Fane said, everyone knows each other, so if your kid's <laughs> doing something naughty, you do sort of hear about it, and or if they need help, they're happy to help them out. It's, it's just a really good atmosphere. I love mm-hmm. it. Most of the parents I spoke to said they were allowed to play in the neighbourhood without adults watching them when they were growing up, but worried for their own children. Noella's dad, Willie, is one of ten children and remembers having a lot of freedom when it came to playing. We always were outside, like, it's, uh, yeah, climbing trees. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing. We hardly watch TV and stuff, but it was all, everything was all done outside. I guess I grew up in a little village, but it's, um, yeah. I went to Padamurimu Primary, my old man was a um, prison officer uh, back back in the 90s, early 90s. And um, there's no shops up there, there's nothing here, just a bush and heaps of playing area, heaps of grass, yeah. Is that something that you would like for Noella, for her to be able to sort of roam free a bit and play? Or are you like, no, lockdown? Not in this day and age, I I think. But not lockdown, but we were so quiet. I don't know that I'd let her go to the park by herself. Professor Susan Morton says the freedom to play without adults is now a rarity. I think one of the issues about having a larger population is actually safety. So that idea of freedom to roam is quite different, I think, for this generation as five-year-olds or even slightly older than it was in my generation. I mean, when we were quite young we would be allowed to go out with a group of friends and stay out for the day or get on our bikes and go for a bike ride and go to the local pool and stay there and be home for dinner. You know, that's not the way things are for most children now. There are concerns around safety about children, particularly young children, going out on their own in terms of how safe that is. There's also concerns around transport. So the idea you know, of being able to walk or even bike safely on the road as a child is quite different. So I do think there are things that are partly about the population, partly about the environment, that do actually restrict some of the activities maybe for this generation, or make it slightly more challenging for everybody to engage in some of the things that, when I think back to my childhood, we probably took for granted. So as our population grows, it appears our she'll-be-right attitude is changing when it comes to bringing up our 1.7 kids, although not so much when it comes to actually planning our pregnancies. Our children are now more mobile than ever before and are less likely to spend their childhood in a family home. But they'll be in a playground with children from a multitude of ethnic backgrounds. And while some are still following in the footsteps of their parents in rural communities or being enriched with the understanding of their tikanga, more than ever before are bringing their world to New Zealand, sharing their culture and taking their place in the future of Aotearoa. Yeah, and you did a pukana. What's your pukana like? Yeah. That program was written and presented by Teresa Cowie. And you can listen, read or watch more from Now We Are Five about the changing face of Aotearoa at rnz.co.nz forward slash five million. 
If you'd like to podcast other Insight programs, you can head to Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe and like us to help others get to know about the programs. Or you can head to the Insight page on the RNZ website, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week on Insight, I head to citizenship ceremonies to ask newly minted New Zealanders the question, why did you choose New Zealand for your home? I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Great to have you listening, and do join us again next time.